Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Eternal punishment for anyone who opens this casket. The mummy. Is it dead or alive? Human or inhuman? You'll know. You'll see. You'll feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end and brings a scream to your lips. There's nothing on earth like the mummy. You will not remember what I show you now, and yet I shall awaken memories of love and crime and death. Now I know his horrible plan. He is going to kill her and make her a living mummy like himself. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the original Mummy from 1932. The studio is Universal Pictures. Release date was December 22nd, 1932. The running time, 73 minutes, and it was in black and white. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guy gives it 3.5 out of 4 stars. His quick little synopsis is, Horror classic stars Boris Karloff as an Egyptian mummy revived after thousands of years. He believes that Zeta Johan is the reincarnation of his ancient mate. Remarkable makeup and atmosphere make it chills ahead of many follow-ups. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 88% fresh from 42 reviews. Their critics' consensus is relying more on mood and atmosphere than the thrills typical of modern horror fare. Universal's The Mummy sets a masterful template for the Mummy-themed films to follow. I'm pretty sure that The Mummy was the last classic Universal monster movie that I saw as a kid. And of all the six monsters, I think The Mummy is towards the bottom of the list of my favorites. However, that's not to say I don't enjoy the original film. Plus, I'm a huge fan of Karloff, who absolutely shines as usual and carries the film. All right, let's get into the main cast. It's basically Boris Karloff playing The Mummy, Imhotep, and Ardith Bay. Now, I covered Karloff's early career in the Frankenstein episode. And in only a year from that film to The Mummy, he was in 10 films. Can you imagine today an actor in 10 films in a year? The biggest being the original Scarface with Paul Muni in The Mask of the Fu Manchu. Now, we'll cover some of the other cast and director in the making of the film now. Unlike the first two monster movies that from Universal, Dracula and Frankenstein, the main character was less of a monster, but almost a sympathetic character, as you will hear later. So back in the early 20th century, moviegoers and the population at large were just fascinated with the Egyptian culture due to the discovery of King Tut's tomb in 1922. This and the legend of ancient Egypt was perfect for stories and films to be made by Hollywood. 
Therefore, tales were spread that when descendants of ancient Egyptians were found dead, this must have been due to the curse of digging up the remains of King Tut and other findings. And by the way, the embalming process of mummifying a human in ancient Egypt took 70 days. The screenplay, written by John L. Balderston, was adapted from a story by Count Cagriosto, who was an Italian magician and adventurer and very much into the occult. His big power was supposedly hypnotism, which was used by Imahotep in the film as mind control. To direct the film, cinematographer Carl Freund made his directorial debut for a full-length American film for The Mummy. He had directed short films in Germany and was best known for his terrific cinematography work and chopped the film Dracula with Bela Lugosi in 1931 and The Metropolis back in 1927. Todd Browning, who was credited as the director on Dracula, was often difficult and overbearing during the filming of Dracula, and Freund is now considered the co-director by film historians. In many ways, The Mummy is very similar in the slower pacing to the original Dracula. Not only that, but the premise is similar in the sense of an undead person being on the hunt of the living, specifically beautiful women. And if you watch the almost hypnotizing eyes of Boris Karloff in The Mummy, they are very reminiscent to Bela Lugosi as Dracula. Now, the name Imahotep is based on the architect who created the first Egyptian temple. And actually, the title of the film was originally going to be either Imahotep or King of the Dead before The Mummy was decided upon. Boris Karloff, who was just billed as Karloff at the time, was reunited with the groundbreaking makeup artist Jack Pierce, who you might remember if you listened to the Frankenstein episode that I did. He was the genius behind the Frankenstein monster makeup. Now, some of the fun shenanigans by the studio PR team at the time is that they publicized Pierce in preparation for the makeup and the money that he had studied ancient Egyptian embalming techniques for the use of makeup on Karloff. Now, this was all hype by the film, but it made for great buzz, as you can imagine. And for most people, seeing the mummy on screen was sort of the first mummified visual a vast audience would be shown, since viewing actual Egyptian remains was not readily available even in library books. Today's modern society takes for granted that with a quick internet search, you can pretty much view anything you want in mere seconds. It should also be noted that the application and removal of Karloff's makeup for the mummy took even longer than Frankenstein, over eight hours. So the wrinkled skin was a process of dried layers of cotton and spirit gum, which repeated over and over gave the look of the mummy in his revived form after being released from the tomb. It was a very tedious process and painful for Karloff to go through. I mean, Karloff was so tightly bandaged that he had to be wheeled around, and he didn't have a trap door to relieve himself either. Zeta Johan, who plays Helen in The Mummy, was a very popular Broadway actress in the 1920s and had a major disdain for Hollywood and film acting. She was even quoted as saying that she had more respect for street whores than Hollywood stars. However, this was at the height of the Depression, and the money was too good for her to pass up on film. I guess we all whore ourselves out at some point, right? She only made seven films to her credit. She was very much into the occult and reincarnation, which was a perfect choice for the mummy. And later in life, when teaching acting classes, she would use her views towards the occult in almost a method acting style of teaching. Zeta did not get along with director Carl Freund. Since this was his first feature film, he decided that he was going to challenge her so he could go back to the studio with claims that he had to deal with a difficult movie starlet. He went up to Zeta and said for a certain scene she had to perform nude from the waist up. Zeta caught on with what he was trying to do and called his bluff and told him that she would do the scene basically topless if he could get it by the censors, which she knew he couldn't. 
As contentious as her work and relationship with the director was, she adored working with Boris Karloff. She said he was the consummate professional, always knew his lines, even under the very laborious makeup process. And this was before actors were under union contracts and would limit the amount of hours they could work per day. It was not unheard of to work 18 hours a day before these regulations were put into place. In addition to the acting, the props were meticulously created to display the ancient artwork and the hieroglyphics. This type of process really added an authenticity and a warmth to the film that the sterile CGI of today just cannot replicate. Okay, let's get into the film. So it begins with the following message. Thee is the scroll of Thoth. Herein are set down the magic words by which Isis raises Osiris from the dead. O Amon-Ra, O gods of gods, death is but the doorway of, to new life. We live today, we shall live again, in many forms shall we return, O mighty one. The scroll, which is vital to the story, was made up by the screenwriter John L. Balderson. The film is supposed to take place in 1921, following an Egyptian archaeological field expedition for a British museum. The three main people in charge are Sir Joseph, played by Arthur Byron, his young assistant Ralph, played by Bramwell Fletcher, and Dr. Miller, played by Universal Horror stalwart Edward Van Sloan. Trying to teach me a lesson in patience, Sir Joseph? <laughs> Method is everything in archaeology, my boy. We always deal with our finds of the day in order. Well, it seems to me that that box we dug up today with the uh, very peculiar gentleman over there is the only find we've made in the past two months that'll bring this expedition any medals from the British Museum. We didn't come to dig in Egypt for medals. Much more is learned from studying bits of broken pottery than from all the sensational finds. Our job is to increase the sum of human knowledge of the past, not to satisfy our own curiosity. Well, that's all very true, Sir Joseph, but, but after all, we're human. And a find like this... Well, how can you wait? This is your first trip. I've been out here ten years, and I'm more curious about that mummy than you are, and even more about that box. Wait a yeah. The viscera were not removed. The usual scar made by the embalmer's knife is not there. I guessed as much, Miller. I had a good look at him when I photographed him. Never saw a mummy like that. Neither I imagine as anyone else. Looks as though he died in some sensationally unpleasant manner. The contorted muscles show that he struggled in the bandages. Buried alive. Imhotep, high priest of the temple of the sun at Karnak. Poor old fellow, now what could you have done to make him treat you like that? An execution for treason, I suppose. Sacrilege, more likely. Look, the sacred spells which protect the soul in its journey to the underworld have been chipped off of the coffin. So Imhotep was sentenced to death not only in this world, but in the next. Uh, maybe he got too gay with the Vestal Virgins in the temple. Possibly. The priestesses of the Temple of Karnak were the daughters of the reigning pharaohs. They were the sacred virgins of Isis. Maybe the answer's in that box we found buried with him. I see. I shall get no more work out of you until I feel it's open. Come on. Let's have the box up there. Oh, the, the wood's so rotten it'll fall apart at a touch. Whatever it is, it's terribly heavy. Oh, 
Metal. Looks like copper. It's gold. I say, look here. The unbroken seals of the Pharaoh Hamanophist. Some temple treasure. Death, eternal punishment for anyone who opens this casket in the name of Amun-Ra, the king of the gods. Good heavens, what a terrible curse. Well, let's see what's inside. Wait! You have read the curse. We recognize your mastery of the occult sciences, Miller. But I can't permit your beliefs to interfere with my work. Then why did you send for me this afternoon? As a friend and an expert. Because I saw this find was unique and I wanted your opinion on it. It is providential that you did. Oh, come, Dr. Miller. Surely a few thousand years in the earth would take the mumbo-jumbo off any old curse. Ach, I cannot speak before a boy. Come out under the stars of Egypt. Do not touch that casket. Go on with your cataloging. We'll open it later. You needn't think you can persuade me not to examine the most wonderful find of my whole experience out here. If you're right about the legend, then this casket may contain the scroll of Thoth from the Holy of Holies in the temple. And I can hardly wait to get back to find out. The gods of Egypt still live in these hills. In their ruined temples. The ancient spells are weaker, but some of them are still potent. And I believe that you have in your hut the scroll of Thoth itself, which contains the great spell by which Isis raised Osiris from the dead. Ralph decides to ignore the warnings from Dr. Miller and decides to open up the box that is said to have a curse placed on anyone that dares open it. Because after all, it would be an extremely boring film if people actually followed the rules. Inside, Ralph finds an ancient scroll and translates it and starts to read it out loud. This, of course, awakens Imahotep, the mummy. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> What's the matter, man? For heaven's sakes, what is it? He, he went for a little walk. You should have seen his face. <laughs> the maniacal laughter from Ralph is a definite nod to Dwight Fry and his character Fritz in the original Dracula with Bela Lugosi. You can even say there's a bit of Colin Clive from Frankenstein as well in that laugh. 
In any case, Sir Joseph sees the dusty handprint of the mummy left from where the scroll was taken by him. Now, what is crazy about the mummy coming to life scene is that for an incredibly laborious process of wrapping Carl up, up as the mummy, you only see a brief shot of his head and torso. You, you don't even see him walking away. I mean, eight hours of makeup for literally 15 seconds of screen time. Now, granted, the visual is still stunning today, but you have thought for all that time they would have filmed more. I totally understand the implied fright of the scene, but it was a wasted opportunity, ultimately, for my film taste. We then cut to modern times, 1932, and there is another Egyptian archaeological field expedition being done for the British Museum, this time led by Sir Joseph's son, Frank, played by David Manners. We find out that Ralph went insane and died after opening the scroll before. We discover that Imahotep is masquerading as a regular person in Egypt under the name Ardith Bey, played by Boris Karloff. He puts makeup on his face so you can still see the wrinkles, especially around his mouth and chin area. What always makes the original Mummy the best of all the Mummy films is the dead-eyed facial expression from Karloff. He was just perfect. In any case, Egyptians under the ancient lore are not allowed to dig up the remains of their ancestors. So because of this, posing as Ardith Bey, Imahotep tells Frank that he knows where the tomb of Princess Anksu Naman is located. By having the British dig up the tomb, the woman Imahotep loved and was not allowed to be with 3,700 years ago, she could be brought back to life and allow the two to be together. Of course, Frank and the team have no idea about this plan. They think it's all for the museum. The princess's tomb is discovered and delivered to the Cairo Museum. The gallery contains the mummy and the complete funerary equipment of the Princess Anksuna, which is in the 18th century, circa 1730 BC. We are then introduced to Helen, played by Zita Johan, who is half Egyptian and her father is English, and the governor of Sudan, and she's staying with Dr. Miller. Of course, Frank is smitten with her, and soon, another key player will be as well. That night, Imahotep uses the ancient scroll that brought him to life 10 years earlier to bring back the spirit of the princess. By doing this, Helen then goes into a trance and leaves the party she was at and goes straight to the Cairo Museum. A car takes her to the museum and she tries to get in, but the door is locked. Frank tries to tell her that the museum is closed for the night and then she passes out. Frank and Sir Joseph bring them back to the house for her to rest. While there, she continues to chant for Imahotep in her sleep using an ancient Egyptian language. Helen eventually awakens once a watchman at the museum disturbs Imahotep's chanting, and Helen has no memory of leaving the party. Now, fans of the band White Zombie will recognize the falling line from Helen as it was used in the song Welcome Back to the Planet, Motherfucker, on their Los Exorcisto album. Well, then we came to unwrap the girl herself. How could you do that? Had to. Science, you know. Well, after we'd worked among her things, I felt as if I'd known her. But when we got the wrappings off, and I saw her face, you'll think me silly, but I sort of fell in love with her. Do you have to open graves to find girls to fall in love with? During this conversation, Frank realizes that Helen's skull shape bears a strong resemblance to the princess in the tomb that he unwrapped. Sir Joseph receives a call from the museum security that one of the guards was found dead. It was determined he died of shock because no wounds were found on him. Sir Joseph also finds a scroll that Imahotep was chanting and realizes it's the same chant that Helen was reciting. Sir Joseph and Dr. Miller return to the house to find Frank and Helen kissing. Sir Joseph is horrified since he knows this is all due to the spell of the ancient scroll. They take Frank aside to discuss what they discovered. And while they leave Helen alone to rest, Imhotep arrives at the house to be with his princess. What became of the mummy of Imhotep? 
Somebody stole it. Look here, Dr. Miller. What's the matter with Miss Grosvenor? You still think that that mummy was stolen, Sir Joseph? Yes, I... I don't know. Sir Joseph. He's in the study. A conference? If I might perhaps wait. Yes. Of course. Have we not met before, Miss Grosvenor? No. I don't think so. I don't think one would forget meeting you, Arthur. And then I am mistaken. But you are of our blood. As to that, I am not mistaken. Yes. My mother was Egyptian. You must burn the scroll of Thoth. I tell you, it's the museum's property, not mine. Who's out there with Miss Grosvenor? Ardeth Bay. He's come for the scroll. Ardeth Bay, Dr. Miller. I accept your invitation, but I find no solitary student with his books. I fear my visit is inopportune. On the contrary. We were just talking about... Me? Your native Egypt. You know Miss Grosvenor? Ardeth Bay introduced himself. Won't you be seated? Sir Joseph was just wondering how you knew where the tomb of the Princess Anxanaman was hidden. Partly inference, partly chance. Sir Joseph, you seem disturbed. Yes. A tragedy at the museum after you left. Tragedy? When I was there... When you were there, Miss Grosvenor? Yes, they told me I went there and tried to get in after it was closed. I don't remember, but... Helen, it is very late. Frank, 
Will you please see Helen back to the hotel? Certainly, if Miss Grosvenor will let me. Well, I don't want to go. After what happened, you need rest badly. But I don't. I was tired. But I... Why, I've never felt so alive before. Then as your doctor, I must order you to go. I'm not a child. Yes, please come. Then ordeth they au revoir. We must see each other again. I shall be honored. An unusual crime. A guard killed by a man who left a gift to the museum. A gift? A scroll part of which was transcribed when it was first found. Here is the transcription. I cannot read the writing of a period so remote. But you read the name of Hans Harman on that piece of pottery. That was of the 18th dynasty. These are pre-dynastic ideographs. The scroll from which this was copied was stolen ten years ago, together with the mummy of the high priest Imhotep. Most interesting. May I see that scroll, Sir Joseph? We left it at the museum. So? I have something else to show you. Photograph. Why do you show all this to me? Do you think it conceivable that the mummy was not stolen, but restored to a semblance of life by the spell from the scroll of... That scroll is my property. I bought it from a dealer. It is here in this house. I presume in that room. Never, never had to... We had foreseen this. The scroll is in safe hands and will be destroyed the minute it is known that harm has come to us. You have studied our ancient arts and you know that you cannot harm me. You also know that you must return that scroll to me or die. Now tell that weak fool to get that scroll wherever it is and hand it to his Nubian servant. The Nubian. The ancient blood. So you have made him your slave. If I could get my hands on you, I'd break your dried flesh to pieces. But your power is too strong. This is the evil force that has been attacking her. Burn the scroll, then. Burn it. It was through you this horror came into existence. It's true. Now, it's funny how Edward Van Sloan basically always plays the same character. He's always the monster guru who warns the scientists, or so-called experts, of their impending doom. Anyway, Sir Joseph attempts to burn the scroll, but back at the museum, Imahotep puts a spell on Sir Joseph, and it causes him to have a heart attack and die, similar to the Night Watchman. One of Imahotep's servants grabs the scroll from the fireplace and instead burns another set of papers. Dr. Miller believes that the scroll has been destroyed, and because of this, it costs Sir Joseph his life. At first, Dr. Miller didn't realize the scroll was given back to Imahotep, but then he inspects the ashes and realizes the scroll was not burned, and Imahotep has the scroll. Dr. Miller gives Frank an ancient amulet to protect him from the powers of Imahotep. Now, one of the cool shots you'll see throughout the film is an up-close shot of Karloff's face and the lighting of his eyes. It's very hypnotic. And today, it would all be CGI, and the actor wouldn't have to bother acting. Helen visits Imahotep at the museum, and he shows her what happened to him and the princess in their past. Now, long story short, he loved the princess, and she died. He then steals the scroll and tries to use it to resurrect her. 
He's then caught and sentenced to death by his own father by being mummified alive. The scroll was also to be buried in a tomb with him. A nameless grave. The slaves were killed so that none should know. The soldiers who killed them were also slain. So no friend could creep to the desert with funeral offerings for my condemned spirit. Anxanaman, my love has lasted longer than the temples of our gods. No man ever suffered as I did for you, but the rest you may not know. Not until you are about to pass through the great night of terror and triumph. Until you are ready to face moments of horror for an eternity of love. Until I send back your spirit that has wandered through so many forms and so many ages. But before then, Bast must again send forth death. Death to that boy for whom love is creeping into your heart. Love that would keep you from myself. Love that might bring sickness and even death to you. Awake. Have I been asleep? So in many ways, the character of Imahotep is a sad one, as he was distraught over the loss of his true love. However, the sacrilege of trying to resurrect the dead was taken very seriously in ancient times. It's similar to the Frankenstein monster. You actually feel sympathy towards him, unlike, say, Dracula. Helen returns back to Dr. Miller's, and Frank is waiting for her. Helen! Where have you been? We've been so worried. We've hunted everywhere. In the museum again? Yes. Miller's down in the Arab Quarter now. Well, if I must give an explanation, it was stuffy in here. I can't be shut up all the time. And besides, I don't like the feeling that I'm always being watched. I took the dog with me. Oh, where is the dog? He's... He's dead. But how? I don't know. Where? I don't remember. But I can see it now. Standing on poor Wolfram's back. A white cat. A white cat? The cat goddess Bast. Yes, there was a statue of Bast. The goddess of evil sendings. Just what happened? Try to remember, Helen. I don't want to remember. Besides, I don't see that it's any affair of yours. Oh, but it is. We know that you were with Ardeth Bay. Oh, Helen. Helen, I love you. I'm trying to help you, protect you. We all are. Don't let me go again. I'll try to get away, but you mustn't let me. No matter what I do or what I say, there's death there for me. And life for something else inside me that isn't me. But it's alive, too, and fighting for life. Save me from it, Frank. Save me. Oh, everything's going to be all right. Now that you've asked for help, I'll never leave you alone. I'll get Mrs. Miller down here with you, and I'll stay here till the doctor comes. And then we'll take you to my house. Oh, Helen, it's been such torture. I love you so. Now, Miss Farling, help me to get dressed and get out of here. Come over you again, Miss Grosvenor. I must escape. I'm being held here. You must help me. But you told me when these fits came on, I wasn't to listen. I have a friend. He's rich. He'll give you money. 
Now you just lie down again. You know you mustn't get up. Oh, if you don't want money, what do you want most? He'll give you anything. If only you'd help me to go to him. Do you want me to call Dr. Miller? No. I hate him. Mr. Wemple, then? I'll die if I don't get away from him. No, Mr. It's killing me, do you hear? Please, please. Now, Helen, you must not do this again. You're always so exhausted afterwards. She's too weak to be removed, except to a hospital. I insist on keeping her here under our direct observation. But, Dr. LeBaron, you haven't told us what to do for her. She's getting weaker every day. You know that negligee I bought in Paris? Help me to put it on. And bring me my toilet things. I want some color. I want to look well. But you can't do that, my dear. They'd never allow it. The nurse would be sure to. We'll get rid of her. This is a plot. Just between us. I want to look the way I did. Just a surprise for Frank. And I want you to bring him to me. You understand? In short, I have failed to make a diagnosis. Medical science is helpless in a case like this. Frank. Go to her. And don't be angry with me. I couldn't resist her. Oh, but Helen, you shouldn't have done this. They shouldn't have let you. Just this once. Perhaps the last time. But you're going to get well. Then I know I can make you love me. I know I can make you happy. I do love you, Frank. And I'm trying to prove it. Because I'd rather die than live and lose you. But you're going to live. We're not going to lose each other. So, my dear, Don't you... scold me. Just feminine vanity. I wanted to look my best again. So you know more than I realized you knew. What do you mean? These impulses to go to him. The pull is too strong to withstand and live. I'm so glad you understand. Helen knows. She knows the moment she stops struggling, he will give her back her strength to come to him. But I don't want to lose my own mind and be someone else, someone I hate. My dear, while you were growing worse, we tried to find him and failed. The next time the call comes, go to him. What can we do now? We can do no more. Ardeth has beaten me. The next time he draws her to him, we must follow her. And then we will destroy him. All right, there's about 15 minutes left, and it's up to Frank and Dr. Miller to fight off the powers of the mummy to prevent Helen from becoming his modern bride. It's interesting with the very early Universal Monster films, the male love interests are almost always duds. Dracula, Frankenstein, Mummy, you know, all of them. But in any case, I guess you can at least root for Dr. Miller. <laughs> though, for, though now, part of to me always kind of roots for Karloff. And while the subsequent Mummy sequels become very repetitive, the original Mummy is a bit unique in the sense that you don't really see the Mummy per se in its mummified state, with the exception of the beginning. In later films, you do, almost painfully some of the time, where the slowest thing ever still catches up with the people running away. But we'll cover those in future episodes. All right, some fun facts. During the past life sequence, towards the end of the film, there were supposed to be additional scenes where the princess lived during different parts of history, like ancient Rome and the Vikings and then the Middle Ages during the Crusades, but the director felt it was too much and slowed down the film. And keep in mind, this film is very brisk at 73 minutes. So as I said before, the original Mummy film really does stand on its own compared to the subsequent sequels. The majority, if not all, have the characters of Karis as the main mummy. 
The original film poster holds a record for the most money paid for a poster at an auction, more than $450,000. The main music theme to the opening credits is the exact movement from Swan Lake used to open Dracula one year earlier. And what's interesting is my guest actually notices this, but he doesn't recall the actual name, and so it'll be funny. We'll, We'll talk about it soon. Nearly 20 years after directing The Mummy, Carl Freund was hired by Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz to be the director of photography on their classic sitcom, I Love Lucy. Now, it was Freund who pioneered the technique of filming the series with multiple cameras in front of a live audience, a concept which made the notion of reruns possible. Prior to that time, almost all television programs were broadcast live and had to be performed twice, once for the Eastern Time Zone and then three hours later for the Pacific Time Zone. All right, as I alluded to, I have a great guest. It's the return of the great Ralph Vieira of the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. Also, the Almost Human page who which on YouTube, which is incredibly popular. The Vieira Vault podcast. He's also on ThatMetalStation.com every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And he also, as I forgot, I can't believe I forgot, he, he does so many things. He's also in the great band Thrash or Die, which we talk about. Now, part of the reason I'm doing this intro now is I tried to do it on when I was talking to him. And there was some audio issues. So I may or may not include the original intro, but... This is exactly what I said there. So there you go. You have it. And enjoy, Ralph. And I will be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. The 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You are the hardest working man in podcasting and radio and YouTubing. And I'm so glad to have you back, Ralph. Welcome back. Well, smack on my god there, Brian. How the fuck do I have time for anything? <laughs> well, you're, you're like the mummy, you know, very slow. Yeah. But eventually you get there. Exactly. You're, you're reading off my credentials. I'm like, God damn, man. Is there anything I don't do? That's what I'm saying. It's like, I, I thought I did sketch this all out. This is going to take all the time. Yeah, uh, man. Uh, you know what it is? It's like, I'm, I'm some guy that's just, I need to do something at every second of the day. Right. You know? I need to just, so if I'm going to be home, I'm going to get on YouTube. I'm going to do podcasts. I'm going to do a radio show. Uh, and, you know, I'm in bands. You know, it's just never ending. That's true. And let's, let's not forget Thrasher Die. Now, is there a new album coming out? And I know you were recording. As of, we're recording in December of, of 2021. When do you think the next Thrasher Die will come out? Oh, man. That, that, that I don't know because um, at the moment, it's like the band, we're all, we all get along. There's no problems. There's no drama at all. But it's, it's fractured, man, because the pandemic and then, you know, my bass players in a popular. Oh shit! My bass player and guitar player is in a popular death metal band, Malevolent. Right. My drummer is now touring with Ingve Malmsteen, and uh, you know there's hardly any time. You know nobody's around. You know so, but you know we all get along. Everything's gonna be you know, and everybody's got downtime. We'll concentrate on Thrash or Die. You know, mm-hmm. but, yeah, at the moment now. But you know they just released a company uh, came to me and uh, they released the, our second album on cassette. Right. If anybody's interested, it's Unchained Tapes, Thrasher Die Mountain Your Skulls on cassette. How trendy. And it's only like eight bucks, too. Like, it's super, yeah, yeah. super it's inexpensive. Like, yeah, it's just eight dollars, man. I mean, how cheap is that, man? I know. Just to have it for the collector factor is awesome, too. And plus, I mean, I have it on CD, but it'd be fun to have just on cassette, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. You know, between my bands, podcast. Oh, and I also fight crime. I don't know if I told you. <laughs> We did. We were talking about that earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Got the costume and everything. 
Well, we'll get right into it. Speaking of costumes in the mummy uh we're going to talk about the mummy for the original mummy from 1932 with boris karloff now before we actually specifically get into that movie uh, i know you're a huge fan of the original universal monster movies uh what is the first universal monster movie that you can remember seeing oh man it might have been dracula you see when i was a little kid there used to be creature feature right with, uh, the night owl it was late at night and on uh, you know Friday, Saturday. I know there wasn't a school school day next day, so I would stay up and watch these things. And uh, you know, I pretty much saw all the Universal monster movies on there. And plus, you know, uh, you know, what is it, Hammer Films or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they would show those movies. It was Christopher Lee. So yeah, I would just stay up at night and watch these things. But yeah, you know, I mean, I could be wrong, but I think it was Dracula. Okay, so you saw that before, because my, my first was Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, so that introduced me to all of them. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, was that Universal? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Oh, then that definitely was the first one I saw. Okay, yeah. Because Abbott and Costello was on Saturday mornings. Right. On here, on Saturday morning, uh, they'd show Abbott and Costello movies, and that was always my favorite one. Okay, so what is the your favorite monster of of those original ones? You know, I gotta say, it's gotta be Creature of the Black Lagoon. Wow, I just love that one. You know, it's just so freaky. That's a freaky movie, man. But you know, I mean, I love them all. I mean, uh, you know, Christopher Lee is awesome, and everything. But dude, for me, man, it's Bela Lugosi. Oh yeah. And I guess it's because you know he was in the Abbott and Costello movie, so. You know, uh, but he just had that that accent and those eyes and the, that smile he had. You know, it was just so creepy. I love the fuck out of Bela Lugosi. That guy was badass. Oh, yeah. And the hands and everything. Yeah, he had everything. And it's crazy. He's only in two. He's only played Dracula twice. And it was in the original and Abner Costello. He should have been Dracula all the time. But for whatever reason, it didn't happen that way. That's amazing. I did not know that. Yeah. Okay, so what is your favorite monster film of the originals? Um, not including Abbott and Costello. Well, it can uh, be that. If you think, if you want it to be that, it can be that. Yeah, that, and then I would go with Frankenstein, because Frankenstein was brutal, man. Yeah. Little girl getting, you know, it was just a brutal movie. Like, looking at it now, it's like, wow, I can't believe they got away with this, you know, 100 years ago. It's been like almost 100 years, right? Just great, yeah. Nineteen thirty-one, I believe. And uh, what's crazy, and I'm sure I bet you know this, is the the little girl scene was edited out for years, for about thirty or forty years, because it was too heavy. Like he, because he killed her. I mean, he didn't realize what he's doing. Uh, and so I think in the late eighties, they they put it back in. Uh, they put in that that edited part back in. So now modern viewers can see it, but it's still jarring even today. Yeah, yeah. I always was like fascinated by that, and yeah, that would be. Probably my favorite one of them all. Okay. Now, where, and we'll get into the mummy now. Where does the original mummy rank uh, for all of them as you a know, whole? I will say, well, I would probably put it in my top five, maybe even top three, you know, Dracula, Frankenstein, Dracula, and the mummy. But yep. I will say, as a little kid watching it, it was the scariest one out of all of them. It really creeped me out. That movie, as a little kid watching the mummy, was just creepy to me. The way he would look and his eyes would glow and all the lines on his face he, and how thin he was. Yeah. He just looked, you know, very threatening. You know, I just 
you know, if I had a choice, what what mummy out of all, what uh, monster out of all of them, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to meet. I put I put the mummy at number one. I don't want to meet that fucker because he can throw spells at you. <laughs> well, what's and Frankenstein can run away from you. Know? That's true. Uh, one thing about the mummy, and I think it's very similar also to I think Frankenstein creature from the Black Lagoon. You almost feel sorry for the mummy, uh, whereas with Dracula. Dracula and the Wolfman, I, you don't feel as sorry for them. How, how do you feel about just the, the mummy character in general? Uh, did you, do you root for the mummy or are you rooting for the, the non, <laughs> the non mummy uh, people? As a kid, I didn't root for the mummy. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, you know, I can kind of get it. You know, he's you know, it's this girl from his past. Right. But, I mean, he wants to kill her and bring her back to life and stuff like that. But, you know, it, it it's selfishness, but you know the guy needs love, man. Ma- everybody needs love, even the mummy. <laughs> you know. Now you kind of briefly touched upon the Hammer Horror um, films. Those would be the Christopher Lee and the Peter Cushing. Did you did you watch those equally, or which ones do you like better, the Universal or Hammer? Uh, I, I haven't watched enough Hammer. I have to go with the Universal. I, okay, I, I'm much more into the Universal. I have the box set and shit. Got it. Yeah, Hammer, I think, is a little bit too long. It can get a little boring, and that's one great thing about those early uh, Universal films that are so quick and that the editing is great, and they're usually no longer than 75 minutes. Yeah, I think The Mummy was 70 minutes. 70 yeah. Minutes. Now, outside of the monsters, did you get into any other Boris Karloff films? So, you know, the non-monster Boris Karloff films. Can you name some? Because I can't think of any offhand. Sure, there was... Um, well, there's obviously the mo- actually his most famous role, ironically, is the Grinch that stole Christmas. Oh, really? He's the voice. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember that as a little kid. It was a claymation thing, right? Well, it's like it's like animation. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but I, I mean, by far he's best known for that. But he was in a few. Uh, he was actually in the original Scarface. He plays uh, one of the gangsters uh, right after Frankenstein. Uh, he was in the Black Cat with. Um, Bella Lugosi. I've seen that. The Raven. Um, oh, yeah. That's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, trying to trying to remember off the top of my I, head. I haven't seen that movie for. I'd love to see that again. He's usually like he'll play like a scientist, like a mad scientist that is like at first he's good, but then it always goes too far. Um, you know, whether it be the body snatcher or, or uh, Bedlam movies like that. Right. I, gotta watch, I have Scarface. Um, I have that, uh, the original, yeah, the special edition where they released it in a box, which had, you know, Al Pacino, Scarface, and then right. it had the original one with Paul Muni. Was that his name? Yeah, exactly. That's a great movie, man. That's an awesome movie. I loved it. I never saw that movie till I got that box. Oh, wow. Went back to watch it. And I was like, holy shit. And there is little tiny similarities, you know, like. The the ode to, to the original Scarface and the newer Scarface, where Al Pacino's partner like hooked up with the sister and that happened in in, right. this, in the old one. It's great. It's awesome. I, I thought the guy was a lunatic. Oh, he's he's perfect as it, and yeah. and it's pre-code, and so they can get away with a little bit more. But it's pretty pretty um pretty out there for 1932. I thought they did a great job. Yeah, it was instead of cocaine, it was alcohol because that was that's right. age of prohibition. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, awesome. 
So you just recently rewatched the mummy. Did you pick up anything new from your recent review, you know, viewing? Do you appreciate it more or is it pretty much the same? No, 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 I appreciate it more. And, and the one thing I did like pick up on, maybe you can answer me this question. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if it's a classical piece, but that opening music during the credits, I've heard that music a billion times in other things. Oh, maybe. I've heard that in hundred million things, but I can't pinpoint in what I heard on. But while I'm listening to the intro to the Mummy, I was like, "Dude, this song did this originally come from the Mummy? You know, it's it's uh, or is it like a Beethoven classical piece? Because you know, you hear a lot of you know, because classical music is um, what do you call public domain? Sure. A lot of commercials use shit like that in movies because they can get away with it. And I know I've heard that, that music before. And that's the one thing I picked up watching again. But I've seen this movie well enough that, you know, I'm kind of like, well, you know, well versed in it. But, yeah, I haven't slapped it on in maybe two, three years. So when you told me that you wanted me to do this episode. Yeah. I grabbed my box and I... I watched The Mummy. Then I watched uh, Dracula, Frankenstein, Creature of Black Lagoon, nice. uh, Invisible Man. Every day, every night I was throwing in another one, you know? I think The Invisible Man might be the most underrated. That's the one that everyone forgets, and that one's really fun. Oh, oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. So I just looked it up. You were totally right. You've definitely heard the song before, so it's Swan Lake by Tchaikovsky. Oh, there you go. So it is a classical piece. Yeah, yeah. But that's a good ear. This is why you're in a band. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the makeup process, I think, is amazing. I mean, Karloff went through probably eight hours a day just to put all this stuff on. And you don't actually see him that much as a full-on mummy. You see him more as kind of the, uh, quote-unquote, human version of the mummy. I think it's so much better than CGI. I mean, how did you feel about the special effects or just the makeup process in this film? Oh, it was awesome. Like, I I was thinking... Wow, was he really this old at that time? Because I really thought that was his lines <laughs> all over his face. Oh, wow. Then when they had the flashback scene, you know, where he's looking into that that little thing with the water and showing yes. him when he was younger. I was thinking that was heavy pancake makeup on him to cover the lines. No. So, so I didn't even know that was makeup. It was so it's so well done. To me, it doesn't look fake at all. It look, really looks like his face. Like, you know, I thought he was very old, you know, at the time. Right. So, I can't, yeah, around his mouth, you can you can definitely see the lines. And then the, he has those natural yeah. dead eyes. Yeah. That are perfect. Yep. That glow. And you know, you hear something weird. Uh, when I was a kid, I don't know if they did it back then on TV. Maybe you can answer me this. But I could have sworn when they get when they put close up on his eyes. And when I was a little kid, I could have sworn the eyes turned green. Oh, I don't know. Maybe maybe it was them fucking with the film when I was a kid, or maybe I'm just remembering it wrong. But yeah, well, when I, they do that close-up where his eyes glow, that's yeah. wicked. And really, that's nothing, like, all it is is just lights on him. Like, there's no special, real special effects to it, which I think is even more cool. Yeah. Yeah, those eyes really do a number, man, because that's pretty much what creeped me out about that movie uh, as a kid was the close-up of those deadpan eyes. That's right. That's right. One of the characters is actually in, or at least the actors, is also in Dracula. It's Edward Van Sloan. Van Sloan played Van Helsing in the original. And he's almost like the same character in The Mummy. He's just like kind of that sage. How did you feel about him? Uh, what what character did he play in The Mummy? 
he played Dr. Muller. So he's kind of like the all knowing uh, kind of doctor that knows how to kind of answer the curse. Yeah. Just like Van Helsing was the one that knew how to kind of defeat Dracula. Oh yeah. He's awesome, man. I, I really liked, um, you know, those scenes where, you know, he's the one who was telling him, don't you fucking open that box. Right. Scroll <laughs> and shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He was awesome. And I like that guy too, that opened the box. I started laughing hysterical. Yes. Like bad man. When, uh, the mummy came to life. Uh, that shit was freaky, man. The way he just, like, the guy just lost his mind, you know? And That's yeah, right. I liked him a lot because he was the most rational guy in the fucking movie. That's right. That's right. And so, like, I'm totally having a, a mind fart now, but, um, oh, Dwight Fry. So you remember in Dracula, Dwight Fry, he had that creepy laugh, kind of the, <laughs> that's the laugh that the guy in the mummy had. Yeah, the same laugh. Yeah, uh, Dwight Fry, he was, um, what was his name? He ate, he ate the bugs and shit. Renfield, right? Yeah, Renfield, exactly. And of, of course, you being a big, big rock fan, you, uh, the the whole Alice Cooper song, you know, the Ballad of Dwight Fry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, one of the one of the tropes of the Mummy, and and people kind of they don't make fun of, but it's kind of fun to to talk about. He's always so slow, but no matter how slow he is, he always catches up to whoever he's going after. How do you feel yeah. about that? Yeah, I, I love it the way he's just like, and and you know uh, something that was kind of freaky too was the guard. Yeah, uh, at the museum, it's like, well, I mean, he runs after him. You don't see what's going on on camera, but it sounds like the mummy just killed him, but with his hands. Right. His hands. <laughs> but it, it turned out the guy died of shock, or they didn't find anything on him. Right. Like any abrasions or nothing. So I guess like he ran up to the mummy, and the mummy just showed him the ring or something. I don't know because you didn't see it, but I thought that was freaky how he died. Like kind of mysterious. Like he died of shock or. Mm -hmm. or, or was the power of, you know, because I know he did the same thing to the doctor. Right. Where he, gave, he gave him a heart attack. Mm -hmm. you know, so I'm thinking, did he do that? Was that it? Because at least with the doctor, they, they could see it was a heart attack. Where this guy, it's like, how did he die? You know? Well, I think that's a great part about old movies because they, by necessity, they couldn't show things. They couldn't actually show someone physically dying. And so kind of the um, thinking about it in your mind and kind of, uh, you know, bringing it in the shadows is almost, as you said, more creepy and actually cooler in many ways by just, you know, kind of implying that, the, you know, that something has been done that's awful. Right. Uh, so we'll go through There's so, There's a lot of movie, a lot of sequels for The Mummy, and, and most of them are incredibly repetitive. What do you feel about the, the sequels to The Mummy, you know, the old, old sequels to The Mummy? You know what, man? To tell you the truth, I did see that some of them back then, yep. but mm -hmm. I don't remember them. Were they were they universal? Oh yeah, and they're they're really forgettable. They pretty much all follow the same plot line. The only one that was somewhat interesting was there was <laughs> they're in New Orleans for whatever reason, so there's some voodoo involved. So that was kind of interesting, but for the most part, yeah, they all follow the same kind of trope. Yeah, forgettable's right because I can't remember them. I know I've seen them. Mm -hmm. What was the one called like the Return of the Mummy? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I do remember this. Now, did you ever see the modern remakes with Brendan Fraser that came out like kind of the 90s and the 2000s? I did. Uh, I remember renting it from Blockbuster and on video, and I enjoyed it. I, I, I think there were there – were, how many were there? Because I know I think I saw, only saw two. I want to say there was four, uh, like three official ones, and then the, the Scorpion King was kind of like an offshoot of it with The Rock. Yeah, I saw that one too. So I saw three of them. Mm -hmm. I, I enjoyed them. I mean, nothing like the original, but yeah, it was good. It, you know, it was a good popcorn movie. Oh yeah, they're 
Definitely more modern action as opposed to kind of the creepy thriller of the originals. With CGI. It was CGI. A lot of CGI. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we'll, we'll wrap this up. So what are your final thoughts about The Mummy? And um, and yeah, would, would you recommend this uh, if you're a newer fan? Like, what, what would be the what would be the first movie uh, to to check out if you're get, trying to get into Universal Monsters? Uh, I, I would have to go with uh, Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really close between Frankenstein and Dracula. But I think uh, Frankenstein's a little more uh accessible yeah uh for for a new viewer it'd be something you can get quicker um and uh definitely frankenstein would be the one i would say if you want to get into universal uh, or, or abbott and costello meet frankenstein you know? yeah because that gives you all three like all the major yeah. monsters in one uh i would how do you feel about so uh, i think the trilogy of frankenstein is the best many people think that brighter frankenstein is actually better than the original how do you feel about that Oh, no. I love Fr- Bride of Frankenstein, but no. To mm. me, nothing beats the original. I thought the original was the best. And that's going to be the final word. I, thank you so much for doing this, Ralph, and we'll have you back on real soon. Anytime, my friend. Thank you so much. And Brian, you're one of the coolest people I know. <laughs> well, thank you, Ralph. Everybody should be like Brian. This world would be so much better. <laughs> I Brian wish- Davis is, God damn it. I'm moving to Florida. I'm moving yeah. to Florida. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, hang. <laughs> Smack him a god, my friend. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on thatmetalstation.com. <laughs>